So on paper, life is great, except in every single possible fathomable way, I was not keeping the promise that I made to myself when I was eight. And people always ask, what was the change? Dude, I stood in front of that mirror and I destroyed myself because I realized in that moment, like a truth, and it was that I was being a victim. Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own. We set Hey, it's Brandon. So I'm a big believer in letting guests be their authentic self and tell their authentic story. So a quick disclaimer, this episode may have some content or language that might not be for little ears. So be warned and be prepared for a great episode. Michael Unbroken. Dude, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks, man. It's an honor. I'm excited to be here with you. Sweet, dude. All right. So I know you as, first of all, I know you're an author of several books. I know you're a life coach for trauma survivors, host of an amazing podcast, Think Unbroken. Uh, I know Ryan Pineda said you were the most prepared person who has ever interviewed him, ever. Wow. And I know that you're one of the very few, maybe the only person that Grant Cardone has ever <laughs> given money to. And I want to hear that story. But let's go back before all that. Who was Michael Unbroken? Yeah. You know, man, I have been able to figure something out that kept me trapped forever. Mm. And that was how to heal from massive child abuse. And we can go as deep as you care to go here, but yeah. the, the highlight of it, man, at, at four years old, my mother, who was a drug addict and alcoholic, actually cut off my right index finger. No. So I've had multiple skin grafts, multiple surgeries. I can't feel it. My stepdad, who she married when I was six, was just a monster, dude. Imagine a guy our size, six foot four, 220, yep. beating up a seven-year-old, wow. putting me in the hospital, beating up my brother. Like just the weakest, most cowardly man you can imagine, right? And, and as I've done this work now on myself for over 13 years and coaching people for over eight, writing the books, the podcast, man, the thing I always come back to is hurt people, hurt people. Mm. And it's been just my absolute mission. It's the thing that drives me to just show people possibility. Dude, I wanna talk about that era. What causes somebody to cut their kids, to hurt their kid, period, but like to that level of trauma? Your guess is as good as mine, man. You know, there's a lot of hearsay in those stories. Yeah. My grandma would say one thing. My mom would say another. My sister would say another. And, you know, I, I was four, so I just don't yeah. remember. Like, yeah. it's so blanked out of my memory. I have no idea. Wow. And, you know, I think one of the things about that is as I reflect on that, this scar, dude, kept me trapped forever. Yeah. Until I was 25 years old. And I was, I grew up in a home where, it was not okay to be you. I had no say in who I was. I had no identity. I, I try to teach this to my clients all the time. Like trauma and abuse is actually the theft of identity. Mm -hmm. It's not even the cuts, the scars, the burns on my body that I carry. It's like the fact that I never got to be a kid. I never got to be a human being. And so by the time that I was eight, we were so poor. I lived with over 30 different families 
My mom was in and out of rehab. My, my stepdad was an over the road trucker. We never knew when he was gonna be home. And man, I stayed at strangers' houses, church families' houses, homeless, where I literally at 11 years old, heading into 12, I lived in an abandoned house by myself for six weeks. Wow. Stealing food from the big lots on the corner of 30th and Georgetown in Indianapolis, right there by the raceway. And it wasn't until my grandmother had just come to check on me where she was like, okay, I haven't heard from anyone in a while. My mom had ghosted. I have no idea what happened to my mom. My stepdad and her were going through a divorce at the time. And I was just by myself. My grandma had one of my brothers. And then the other one my mother had put into a group home. She was always just trying to get rid of us. She chased drugs and alcohol more than loving her children. And so my grandma comes and adopts me. And you would think this is like a godsend, right? And in a lot of ways it was, but I'm biracial, black and white. And my grandma's an old racist white lady from a town in Tennessee you never heard of. When I say that, I'm not like bullshitting. I mean, like we had a copy of Hitler's autobiography, Mein Kampf in our kitchen. Oh, geez. We weren't allowed to have black kids in our house. And my uncle's a part of the Aryan Brotherhood. Wow. So imagine the chaos that happens in a child's mind at that age, yeah. 12 years old, being bearing witness to all of this travesty. And I did what I think any kid under that circumstance and in that environment would do. And I just started getting high every day. Mm. Dude, I got high for the first time I was 12. Started popping pills. By 13, I was getting drunk. And by 15, I got kicked out of school for selling drugs. And it's like, that was normal where I come from. And that whole journey, you know, you ask that question, I wanna circle into that. Like, how does a parent do that? Yeah. The answer is, I don't know. But I know that the path that was laid in front of me from her experiences made me understand something at a very, very young age. And that's that there are both good people in the world and not so good people in the world. And being exposed to that level of violence and chaos made me chaos. And it was through just doing a tremendous amount of work and ultimately hitting a rock bottom, which we can talk about that, that has kind of led me to where I am today. Wow. Did your mom have that similar upbringing? Like was she traumatized as a child as well? Was this a generational thing that just got passed down? Or was it just the drugs and alcohol just sent her off on the wrong path? No, I think it was definitely passed down. So when I was 18, that's a great question. When I was 18, my mom was sober for the first time ever. Mm. And my grandmother had had a heart attack and went into a coma. And so me and my little, my next youngest brother, we're like hanging out at home by ourselves, just trying to figure out all the chaos of like, like literally going in the couch cushions to like order a pizza. Yeah. And, and my grandma comes out of this coma. My mom ends up coming to the hospital. She's sober, allows, talks to my grandmother. And my grandmother's like, you need to move into the house and come take care of these kids right? Cause she's in a coma and, or she's just coming out. She's now almost half paralyzed. Like it's yeah. crazy, dude. Within, I'm not even joking with you. Within three weeks of my mother being in my grandmother's house. And now this is the first time I've ever seen my mom sober. She is back to drinking a gallon of vodka a day and popping pills. Wow. And it wasn't until I was about 31 years old where I was sitting in my therapist's office one day and he looks at me and we're having this conversation. And I'm like, you know what, dude? I am so tired of being here. I'm so tired of looking at your stupid face. I'm literally saying these words, drinking this dumb tea out of this same stupid glass in this same uncomfortable chair for the last couple of years. And like, I'm tired of cleaning up other people's messes. Like this is the conversation I'm having with them. 
And he says, yeah, I understand. And he's like, just like this amazing therapist. And he goes, I want to ask you a question though, while you're in the heat of this moment. And I go, sure, whatever, like that's your job. And he goes, have you ever thought about what your mom's childhood was like? Mm. And to answer your question, it's all of the above. Yeah. The chaos, the abuse, the suffering she must have went through leads to that, which leads to me and my siblings. Yeah. And then ultimately us being the ones who are breaking the cycle. There's a, I'm gonna probably butcher the verse, but there's a biblical principle that says like, I'm gonna pass the sins of the father onto the kids, the seventh generation. And a lot of people have looked at that over the years and thought, you know, maybe it sounds like a really cruel thing that God is saying he's going to pass down like this, like I'm gonna hurt your kids because you were bad. But I've always read that and consider that more like the things you do get passed down from generation to generation to generation. So when you have that, yeah, the generational curse is not an outward thing, it's an inward thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and I see it time and time again, hurt people, hurt people. And I, I think it's both genetic and energetic, mm. right? It's quantum. Because if you really think about it, like we are the DNA of our ancestors. Yeah. Like you're carrying stuff from lineage that you don't even understand. Yeah. And people wanna like combat that, which I'm like, that's fine, but like science is science, Yeah. right? And you go look at it, we carry DNA all the way back to whether it's Adam and Eve or the Big Bang, whatever you consider to be yeah. life. And then energetically, man, it's the same way. You know when you're on the highway and some dude's like four cars over and you look at him and he looks back at you? Yeah. And you're like, how the hell did that just happen? <laughs> like we carry energy in our lives. And so the energy of my family led to this space where I basically destroyed my whole life, right? So at 18, now my mother is in this place of drinking and getting high every day, crashing her car, threatening to kill me and my brothers, like in this really dark, manic, depressive space. And, you know, dude, one night uh, she came and attacked me and I had never hit my mother one time, never. Even though she beat the shit out of me, she would torture me and my brothers, like let my stepdad lock us in closets. Like it was just like the darkest things. I got molested in the church and I told her and mm. she was like, never tell anybody. And I mean, my mom was not a good person, but she was a hurt person. Yeah. And this night she attacked me, dude, I pushed her to the ground and I stood over her and I said, if you ever touch me again, I will kill you. And I meant it. And I said, you're not my mother, never talk to me again. And until the day she died, I didn't. Wow. And I promise you this, two things. One, it is the hardest decision I've ever made because it's genetic and energetic. She is a part of me, yep. whether I like it or not. And two, had I not made that decision, there's no way I would be here with you right now. 0% chance. You had to draw that line in the sand and say no more. Yeah. How do you, and maybe this will come up later and maybe we'll touch on it now, but how do you view forgiveness? Like, do you forgive your mom? Do you need to forgive your mom? Is that part of the healing process? And apparently she's not with us anymore. Like, how do you view that? Yeah, you know, I think a big part of it, man, is recognizing forgiveness is actually for you. It's not for them. Mm. And that's a really hard thing for people to reconcile because it's about letting go. And if you're not willing to do that, you carry the weight of that forever. And when I was, my brother calls me, I'm like 24 and he's like, hey man, mom died. And I go, okay, thanks, have a great day. And I hung up the phone. And Brandon, what I'm gonna say is real. It was the greatest sense of release mm. and freedom I'd ever felt. But there was still like a price I was paying 
from my relationship with her. And that price came in relationships with other women, with my friends, with my family, with my community, where I was terrified of love and connection and companionship. And dude, you know more about me in 10 minutes than people who knew me until I was 30 years old. Wow. You know what I mean? And so I think that when I look at forgiveness, it really is for me. And I don't think some acts are forgivable. You know, how do you forgive some of the most heinous things that have ever happened? But there's also that level of like, are you willing to let go of it Mm. and not allow it to be the thing that defines who you are? And that's where I, I got stuck so frequently. Dude, I think the most dangerous sentence in the human language is, that's just how I am. Yeah. And when I was at my worst, dude, so I made a declaration to myself when I was 18, right after this moment with my mom, I got kicked out of school again. And I said to myself, I'm gonna make a hundred grand a year legally. And the legal part was like really important because I have family in prison for life, literally to this day. I've been in handcuffs more times than I can count. And my three best friends got murdered. Dang. Bro, so I knew where I was going. Yeah. And like I made that declaration of myself and, and I chased money and I got super successful. I landed a job with a Fortune 10 company, almost made a million bucks by the time I was 26. But the impact of my relationship with my mother, my stepfather, the trauma, the abuse, the hiding, the lies, the secrets put me in this place where at 26, I'm 350 pounds. Really? 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep, cheating on my girlfriend. I'm $50,000 in debt. My car got repoed at an $80,000 Cadillac CTS, just like bad boys too. And, And my little brother one day tells me, never talk to me again, you're not my brother. And so it's like, until I was able to step into forgiveness for myself, honestly, because of a lot of my actions and my choices, not this bullshit where people are like, I forgive myself and then they go do it again, where it was like, for real, like I'm gonna forgive myself so I can move forward. Mm. It wasn't until I could do that and then allow my mom the space of forgiveness and my stepfather and my grandmother and my community and my school and my teachers and the church and everybody, did I find freedom? And so I think forgiveness is everything. Wild. All right, so I wanna dig a little bit more into that. And I'm gonna ask about how the trauma maybe affected your drive and your ambition. But before we get there, uh, I want to throw in this week's sponsor for the show. One thing we do different on the show is every uh, bit of money we make from the show, all the money from the ad revenue goes directly to a charity or a cause of your choice, uh, the guest. So uh, what breaks your heart? Where should we send this money to? Yeah, man. I love and support Operation Underground Railroad. Yeah. Think Unbroken, my company, we have donated to them constantly over the last, I think, five years, four yeah. or five years, got introduced to them through uh, Russell Brunson. Yep. And I ended up having uh, Nick Nanton, who yep. was one of the directors of one of the documentaries come on the podcast and just have oh, followed awesome. Tim Ballard and what he's doing for years. And as a kid who was molested and as a kid who comes from an environment of just massive pain for children, like that's so near and dear to my heart. And I'm like, if we can arrest every one of these people, man, I'm like, yeah. I, let's go. Let's yeah. get them all, dude. 100% agree, man. All right. We'll be sure to do that. And with that said, let's roll the ad. This is going to be a short, short ad. It's for something else that's free, and you really should know about it because it benefits you. 
Did you know I have a weekly text message newsletter where I send out my top real estate investing advice, books that I'm reading, and more? It is called Behind the Beard. Get it? Behind the Beard. And you can join by simply going to beardybrandon.com. That is beard with a Y, Brandon, beardebrandon.com. It's 100% free, and it's just a good way for me to stay connected with you. And now, back to the show. All right, so let's get into that. Did trauma drive give you the ambition? Was it the pain that made you so successful at 20, you know, mid-20s, you're making a ton of money? Or was it, do you think that was the- Dude, I think like, all right, so here's one of the like pros. This is a really weird thing to say. One of the pros of being a homeless child and living with all those families and all of those environments is I got exposed to different realities at a really young age. I think some kids never get that and they're just in violence and chaos all the time. I'll never forget this. One day we're at this, I'm at this house because my brothers were someplace, my sister was some, it was always gnarly. And um, we're in this home, we're getting ready to have dinner. It's quiet. No one's screaming at each other. There's like music on in the background and shit. And I'm like, (laughs) what is happening here? And I'll never forget this until the day I die. It's like cemented in my brain. One of the kids talks back to the dad and he didn't get slammed through a wall. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, that's a thing. Dude, having an opinion in my house was the fastest way to get fucked up. Yeah. And so being able to see that happen was, it just planted a seed in my mind of, oh my God, there's something different that's possible in this life and in this world. And when I was young, there was always things that I just pushed through. I don't really have a gray area. I'm either all in or all out. I know it's a defensive and safety mechanism. The drive for me came, dude, I don't know if I ever told this story before. The first time I ever walked inside of a prison, I was seven. And when you walk into prison, the first thing that they do, whether you're seven or 70, is they pat you down. And you got to stand in between the electrified gates. And there's a guard with guns who's in front of you with the dogs. And I'm with my grandmother and my other brother. We're going to see my uncle. And my uncle's still there, right? 30-something years later. And dude, the terror that I had of walking in there at seven years old made me go, I will never have this in my life, Mm. right? And so as a kid, even though I was like selling drugs and breaking into houses and stealing cars and getting shot at by the cops and getting put in handcuffs, call it dumb luck, call it divine intervention, call it me being smarter than the police. I have no (laughs) idea, bro, but I'll tell you what, I got out of every one of those situations. A lot of my friends didn't. And so I'd been driven. The thing that I was chasing was like getting out. But you have to think about what getting out meant when you're a kid from where I'm from. It's like getting out is like, can you make enough money to put rims on your car? Yeah. We don't know any different. I'm not exposed to the reality of safety, of wealth, of financial freedom, of residual income, of corporate jobs. Bro, my first job was like literally selling dime bags right? Selling pills out of my grandma's cabinet to my friends, like the crazy like that. And I was like, man, I'm going to figure something out. I didn't know what it was, but when I, when I was 18 and I got kicked out of high school again, well, so Mr. Bush shout out, I always give this dude's props because he's one of two teachers that ever stood up for me. And what I say when I mean that is like, he did not let me get away with anything. 
And this dude been teaching, I don't know, probably 20 years, right? He's seen everything. I'm not the first kid to come through school with this story. And I come to him my senior year, the beginning of the second semester, and I walk up to his classroom, second floor corner of Northwest High School, which is now defunded and closed because it's a dropout factory. One of the worst high schools in America. What city was that in? It was Northwest High School. And they had this study done by Harris Research called the Dropout Factories. Okay. I think they still do it. But the year I graduated, it was one of the worst schools in the entire nation. Jeez. And they defunded it because it was so bad. And kids kept getting murdered at school and just all kinds of craziness, right? Like we had real cops with real guns and real metal detectors at my school. Like you watching TV shows. Yeah. And so I go up to Mr. Bush's classroom and I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to keep it real with you. I'm not coming to your class this year. And, you know, cause it was like 7 a.m. or 7.15 bell. And I'm like, bro, I'm out till two in the morning, like getting it, right? And working a job at Hollywood Video, trying to have a cover piece and like hanging out with my girlfriend, doing what high school kids do. And I'm like, and he tells me, just check in with me and do homework and we will figure it out. Dude, he gave me an opportunity, right? And he said, this is the way we will navigate this. Cause I get it. You know how many times I checked in and did homework? Zero. So my girlfriend calls me. I'm at home, this is the end of the school year. I'm stoned, I'm playing video games. And she goes, uh, your name's not on the graduation list. And I was like, fuck. I knew why too, like there was no question why. So I got in my car, I drove to school, second floor, corner of the building, went to Mr. Bush's classroom, and I wait for the period to end and he comes out and me being like Henri 18 year old man, all fucking testosterone up. <laughs> I go, how dare you fail me? And he looks at me and goes, don't talk to me like that, young man. Reasonable. I yeah. smacked the shit out of a kid talk to me like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and so, and he goes, he goes, I didn't fail you. You failed yourself. Mm. And then he told me the most important thing to this day anyone has ever told me. He said, if you want something in life, you have to earn it. You can't get by on your charms and your good looks. And he made me go to summer school mm. and it was incredibly embarrassing. It might be the most, un the most embarrassing moment of my whole life. And when I'm in summer school, all my friends uninvite me from every graduation party. They won't call me. They won't pick up the phone. I'm not hanging with them no more. I'm the loser now. I was already a loser, but now I was like, for real, it was solidified. Like it was in writing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm in, I'm in summer school. It's like the second or third week. And the teacher comes up to me. The irony in this, by the way, is Mr. Bush was a business teacher. That's funny. And so. Have you connected with him since? So randomly, I go to a Best Buy in Carmel, Indiana when I'm 27 and I see him. And I do, Brent, I've never been so nervous. I've met mm. celebrities. I've met, Bill, I've had dinner with billionaires. I was shaking walking up to that man because he changed my life forever. And so I'm in summer school and the summer school teacher pulls me out in the classroom. He goes, it's obviously you don't want to be here. We're going to give you the diploma and we're going to let the streets figure you out. Wow. That's literally what he told me. And so that thing where I was like, I need to make a hundred grand a year came out of those two moments, I think. And the drive, here's the problem. If you have drive without clarity, you're going to get everything and nothing. And so at 26, I had made all that money. I was overweight. I was in this chaotic situation. I got everything I wanted and nothing at the same time. Was that rock bottom? It was rock bottom 997. Mm, yeah. It's kind of drag on the bottom.
Dude, I was just like hanging out down there. Yeah. Just smoking joints down there, getting drunk down there, hooking up with strangers down there, being in debt down there, not communicating with my family down there. And then I put a gun in my mouth. Jeez. And that's when it was real fucking dark. Because when I was 14, like I was living in this apartment with my mom. My grandmother kicked me out. <laughs> She's like, you got to go live with your mom again, dude. Like I'm done with you. And so... I'm living in this apartment. Dude, my mom is just trashed every night. And like she'd pass out on the stairs. I'd help get her up. She'd throw up on the floor and I'd clean it up. Like just do the darkest shit. And I'm like 14, I'm freshman in high school. I just downed a whole bottle of Advil. I was like, Kill, like take me, yeah. I'm done with this. And then at 25, it was the same thing again, but it was different. Cause now like I didn't realize it was my fault. I didn't yet have that moment. And so, when I think about it now, I would never do that. It's such an incredible transformation that can happen in your mind when you step down this path, when you realize like love is something abundant that you're allowed to have, when you realize like it really starts with you, when you realize like other people will find a way to support you, but you gotta like raise your hand and be like, I need help. And so, you know, that drive not only led me to 26 in the rock bottom, but it led me to 38 and the success that I have today, right? And I'm not talking about necessarily monetarily, right? I don't care, I don't even care about money. Like money means zero to me, other than a resource and to help and to help people. I care about how I look and how I feel when I look in that mirror every single day. And so that drive now is the same thing that pushes me on days where I just don't even wanna show up. Cause there's days that I don't want to show up. My favorite thing to do is to sit on the couch and get high and play video games and eat gummy bears. Yeah. But that doesn't move me towards my goals. So I don't do it, even though I want to. There's nothing better than that, right? What was the pivot? Like what was the moment there? Gun in the mouth, overweight. Like, I mean, when I look at you today, I see the exact opposite of that. So clearly something, what changed? All right, I'm gonna tell you something that most people are not going to agree with me on. And in fact, I get pushback a lot about yeah. this. And, I, and man, look, you know, I, I have this podcast and I've interviewed the, some of the greatest minds in mental health in the world. I mean, you're talking about Dr. Gabor Mate, Caroline Leaf, Anna Lemke, uh, Tom and Lisa Bilyeu. I mean, the list goes on and on. I can name a thousand people. And, and everyone has the, a different moment in which things change for them. And I don't think there's a right or wrong, but this is what I did because you asked me about me. So... It's a Saturday morning. This is a couple days after this conversation I had with my little brother where he says, never talk to me again. You're not my brother. That to me was the hardest hit of all of them. Yeah. Like it really was. And, and people always ask me, well, do you have the relationship with him now? I'm like, yeah, he just actually helped me move from Denver to Vegas. So okay. like we've spent a lot of effort in that. But in that moment, man, I was so far gone. My mom was dead. My grandma was dead. Another one of my best friends got murdered. I was just like, I felt like God was always punishing me, man. I was like, why the fuck am I always suffering? And I'm laying in bed. It's a Saturday morning. I'm 350 pounds. I'm smoking a joint, eating chocolate cake, and watching the CrossFit games. <laughs> <laughs> like this to me, I was like, here I am watching people do their best to make their dreams come true. And yet I'm destroying everything I touch constantly and i pulled myself up out of that bed i don't know why i did this i have no idea why but i went in the bathroom i looked at myself in the mirror and i remember being eight years old 
And when I was eight, the water company had come to our house and turned off our water. Dude, I grew up in America, the greatest country in the world. And we were so poor because of my mom's drug addiction, my stepfather's alcoholism, and both of their inability and lack of education with finances that we got our water turned off. And my mom says, go across the street to the neighbor's house, get water, but don't tell them. Mm. So I go in the backyard, I grab this little blue bucket, I walk across the street to our neighbor's house, and for the first time I stole water. Would not be the last. Man, I was a daydreamer, dude. Like all the time I was just thinking about like that show Lifestyle of the Rich and Famous. My friend Derek Faye and I talked about this yesterday. Man, there's something about watching people have a different life. I would just daydream. I was like, what if I had food? Yeah. Right? Like really, because we drank fucking powdered milk and everything came in a can. Yep. And I was just sitting back there in that backyard with this bucket full of water that we were about to go drink out of for the next couple of days, coming back and forth doing this at this neighbor's house. And I was like, when I'm a grown up, this won't be my life. And it wasn't on paper. Dude, I got a smoking hot blonde girlfriend, got an $80,000 car. I have a career that most people would kill for. I mean, I was making 150,000 a year at 21. And we're talking about like almost 20 years ago when yeah, that's yeah. the equivalent of like half a million dollars, yep. right? And so on paper, life is great. Except in every single possible fathomable way, I was not keeping the promise that I made to myself when I was eight. And people always like, what was the change? Dude, I stood in front of that mirror and I destroyed myself because I realized in that moment, like a truth. And it was that I was being a victim. And I had the, I was like, you're a bitch. Like I really like, this is where I get the pushback. Cause I'm like, look, if you need that really soft, gentle approach, you go find that you give that to you. But I came from hell and in hell, we ain't very soft. And so I was like, get your fucking shit together. Mm. And I meant it in this way that was like so affirming in that moment, man, where I was like, fuck you. I was so mad at myself. I was like, this is your fault. Your brother won't talk to you. You're cheating on your girlfriend. You're in fucking chaos constantly. You're in debt, another bill collector, another this, another that. Dude, I used to go to the gym smoke a cigarette, go to McDonald's, sit in my car, look at the gym and say tomorrow. Mm. And I stopped fucking saying tomorrow. And I got in my ass and I was like, do it anyway. And I asked myself this question and dude, this is where my whole life changed. This singular moment I wrote about it in the book. I talk about it all the time, call it God, spirit, mother nature, Batman. Dude, I have no idea where this came from, but I asked myself this question. I was like, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? And the answer was no excuses, just results. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. What did you do? Let's go tactically for a second here. What'd you do to lose the weight? Um, stop eating like shit and work out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've, I've asked that question to a lot of people and that's almost always the answer. Cause it like, is the answer. Yeah, there's, there's no like, everyone that wants like the magic pill, like the magic solution. Like, oh, I did, you know, CrossFit. Well, I mean, CrossFit works. Yeah, I did uh, that too. Yeah, I play racquetball. Okay, racquetball works. Yeah, all those things work, but it's like, I just, I stopped eating like garbage. I stopped eating the way that I was raised to eat. Yeah, well, and, and also I grew up in a food desert. Dude, I'm not joking or being facetious when I say this. I don't think I had a salad for the first time until I was 20 years old. Mm, same. Right? Yeah. Also, I don't like salad, so it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but when I started this, because I want to, let's go into the nuance for that for yeah. a second, because there are people struggling yep. really hard right now with weight. Yes. We're the most obese country in the world. 
Our food pyramid's a lie. Yeah. Our food is poison. And people don't understand that it's the small changes that'll change your life forever. And Lucky Charms are healthier than steak. Dude, man, <laughs> if you ever want to have yeah. a case study for why the government's a lie, dude, yeah. we're going to get canceled. Jesus <laughs> Christ. It's go look at the food pyramid. Yeah. It's, They're going to take your I'm show sorry. off. They're going to demonetize you because I said That's, that. I'm, I'm happy to have it. <laughs> I'm happy to go out on a bag. This is great. And so, <laughs> and so here's what really happened. I realized because I'd been an athlete when I was a kid. It wasn't until I got money that I start getting fat, right? Honestly. Yeah. But I, I mean, I played four sports in high school as captain of the wrestling team, won a bunch of tournaments, blah, blah, blah. It's always in combat, love martial arts, still do martial arts to this oh, day. What do you do? Muay Thai. Oh, nice. Yeah. I do jujitsu. Ju yeah. Not I, well. Every time I do jujitsu, I get hurt, so I stop doing it. Constantly, I'm tore. I got a tore shoulder right now. Dude, yeah, I'm done. I'm yeah. over it. <laughs> I'll just keep kicking stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, and so it just, it started with one thing. There was a guy, I love telling this story. Do you know who Diamond Dallas Page is? I know the name. Okay, uh, so Diamond Dallas Page was a wrestler yeah, in yeah. the 90s and early 2000s. Because I think I played him in a video game. Yeah, you would yeah, have, for yeah. sure. And so Dallas in, this must have been 2007 or 2008, released this yoga program called YRG, Yoga for Regular Guys. Mm. I'm in Indiana, bro. Nobody did yoga. <laughs> and so I, I ordered these DVDs because this is how long ago this was. I ordered the DVDs. They're like 70 bucks or whatever and a yoga mat. And I hid them. My girlfriend and my little brother lived with me at the time. And I hid them because I didn't want anybody to know I was doing this. And so I would just do this yoga in my living room. And I dropped like 20 pounds real fast. Mm. Right. And then it was just like, all right, I'm going to go from this to I'm going to go to a yoga studio. I started doing Bikram. And at one point I did 66 straight days Wow! and the weight kept going. And then it was like, cool, I'm going to start running. I hate running, but I'm going to start running. I'm going to start lifting. And then it turned into, I'm going to become a certified tr personal trainer and nutritionist, mm. never doing anything with it other than just educating myself. I'm going to read all the books. I'm going to listen to all the pot. It's the same thing I did with healing trauma. I did in changing my physical appearance. And it was like, I just kept educating myself and then doing the thing that people told me to do because success leaves clues. We all know this, but we don't do it. The thing that really changes people's lives and what changed my life was I removed the willingness to negotiate with myself. I said, nothing is negotiable anymore. And one of the things that was beautiful that came out of those yoga experiences was it actually helped me become present. One of the big impacts of childhood trauma is being dissociated. My brain and my body were never connected, man. My brain's over here, my body is over here, and I don't know which way's up. And so it was like I'd be on this mat and I would get incredibly emotional. I had not yet learned to cry, though. Mm. Like I had to learn how to cry. I didn't cry for 15 years, man. Like that literally got beat out of me. But on the yoga mat, I would like feel things. I'd stuff them down, though, because it was very, very, very scary. Yeah. And then I started journaling and I started meditating. And then I started listening to guys like Gary Vee and Lewis Howes. And I bought a Brendan Burchard course. Mm. I mean, dude, I was 50 grand in debt and a Brendan course popped up on some online ad. Cause you know, Brendan's the king yep. of online ads yeah. in this space. I'll say this, that course didn't change my life, but it planted a seed that I could bet on myself. Cause at that point I'm 27 or 28, I'd never invested a penny in myself. Yeah but I had a closet full of Jordans. And I remember I looked down at my shoes, actually the same ones I have on right now, or they might've been a different one. They were red and black like this. And I was like, 
you care about your shoes more than you care about yourself. Mm. I was like, well, I'm already 50 grand in debt. Hit the credit card. <laughs> you know, and so I, I think that when you're talking about weight loss, the thing that shifts in that isn't just your physiology. It's your mentality. It's your emotional state. It's yeah. your mental well-being. Because I will argue this, and I always get canceled for what I'm about to say. If you're morbidly obese when I was, like the way that I was, and you're 350 pounds with a BMI of 37, you are unfucking healthy. Yeah. You are sick. You are going to die. And therapy is not going to solve your problems. Mm. But people don't want to hear that, man. And I always get in trouble for saying it. But it's true. It's 100% true. You treat your body like shit, your mind is going to be shit. 100%. Period. 100%. How does faith play into all this? I know you mentioned creator earlier. You mentioned God a couple of times. Are you a man, a guy of faith? Do you have a religion? Do you just, like, where does that play into this? And how did that work in with your healing and the trauma? Where does that fit in your life? So it's a great question. Nobody ever asked me that question. When I was 12, 11, and I was living in that abandoned house, we didn't really have much, but I grew up Mormon. My mom was Mormon. I have no idea why. Mm. And it's weird to be like a kid in the hood going to Mormon church. Yeah. It's a very strange experience. Yeah. And I'm home one day and I have nothing to do. I have no TV. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my time. And, and there was a old, old, old Book of Mormon in our house. I mean, this thing had to be from the 60s or 70s. Like mm. probably the first one my mom ever had. And I sat down one day and cognizantly as a child, I remember being like, I'm going to read this because I want to know what I'm doing wrong so I can find out why God is punishing me. Oof. Imagine that thought as an 11 year old. Yep. That's heavy, dude. And I read it and I came across a passage in it and it said, he with the dark skin will not be allowed through the gates of heaven. Mm. And I was like, all right, I'm done with this shit mm. immediately. Like yep. it was just like right there done with it, over it. I'm going to continue on with my life. And I remove myself from religion in any capacity. Like I'm not stepping inside of a church. And what I realized one day is that if you can tap into like spirituality, I don't know if I call it just universe, man. And we all have a different name for it. But I was like, if I can like honor this idea that something loves me, like maybe I can make it through this shit. And it's just been that that's carried me through. And maybe it is God. I don't know. Here, oh, I think about this all the time. Like, I'm gonna get to the gates of heaven. What's the guy called? Is it Gabriel at the gates of heaven or Peter, Peter or Paul? Peter. I think Peter's at the gates. Yeah, right? Peter's at the gates. <laughs> yeah. So whoever it is, I don't know where that tradition comes from. He's but gonna yeah, we'll be go there, and he's gonna be like, "I tried telling you." <laughs> <laughs> and if that's the case, so be it, right? But for now, man, I just try to honor being a good man, and I try to show up every day for my people, for my community, for myself, and I tap into the universe every day when I meditate. There's a movie I love called Tron Legacy. I'm obsessed with it. It's a Disney movie from like 10 years ago. And there's a scene where one of the characters is like getting ready to meditate. And he says to his son, he goes, I'm going to go knock on the clouds. And that's just what I think about, man. I'm going to go knock on the clouds and tap into it. And Brandon, what's crazy, it's like visualization plus meditation that I do. And I've had deja vu in my life like probably 500 times. Mm. Just beautiful moments of connectedness with source. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't, I'll never defame religion. Do you do whatever you got to do, but it ain't for me. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, I'm going to butcher the, where it's from, but somewhere in, I think it's Romans. They, in the Christian Bible, it says like, even those people who don't know about God, like it's basically saying like, if you're like people like to say, well, what about people in the jungle who never heard about it? Like the Bible says, like, even those people can look around and see there's something going on here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they, they can see and they can give 
they can give glory or whatever you want, you know, honor to like, there's something here. Uh, and, and I love that passage and I'm, I'm no preacher or pastor, so like, or theologian, but I take a lot of like solace in this idea that like, when people say the universe, like, I mean, I believe in a God, but if you don't believe in the God or you don't, you believe there's something here, like there's something we feel and all of us feel it. And it, it says like, yeah, that's it. Like what if I call it God, I believe in that, but like you feel it as well. They feel it as well. Like there's something here. And I think that there is something healing in that, in knowing that. Yeah. Um, it's difficult though, man, because just wear my shoes for one second. Yeah everything I've told you being 11 yep. years old and trying to navigate feeling like you're being tortured. Dude, I know. I and know. then to reconcile that yep. and to allow the space to go, maybe. Yep. Because I've done some amazing things. Yeah. I've done things that like are almost impossible to even believe sometimes. Yeah. You know, I, last year I was on a Times Square billboard twice. Jeez, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I'm a kid from the hood. I, I wrote my first book on the islands of Thailand doing Muay Thai. I, I've traveled and eaten at the best restaurants in the world. My passport's full of stamps. I've spoken on stages with Tom Bilyeu and David Meltzer and Grant Cardone. I've, I've impacted the lives of millions of people through this podcast. And it's like, and still there's that part of me where it's like, could I maybe have done this without all the fucking suffering? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And so I just try to tap in now where I'm at in my life today, especially of just recognizing it's really important for me personally that even though it's difficult and it is a, a hurdle I constantly face, I just try to push myself, tap into this idea or this notion that just maybe something does care about me enough that will see me into the next phase of my life. And if it leads me down the path to find love and a family and a wife and great success monetarily and the impact that I care to have and leads me down the path in which the mission of Think Unbroken, which is to end generational trauma, comes to pass on this timeline, both in reciprocity and perpetuity, then maybe it was worth it. Dang, that's so, so good, man. You mentioned Grant Cardone and earlier and reading your bio that Stetson prepared for me here. And, and what we talked about, Grant gave you money. What does that mean? Yeah, he's the, one of the only I'm, people who gave you yeah, money. I mean, I totally earned it, but it came out of his, <laughs> it came out of his story. Yeah. How do you know Grant? What's that, what's that story? So COVID, I'm funnel hacking. You know, I, I know this entrepreneur crowd, so they'll kind of yeah. get that. So I'm funnel hacking just every book that I see on Facebook. Yeah. And I'm going down the book funnels and I'm saying like, what are these guys doing? Cause I have a book funnel. I want to optimize it. Yeah. I want to like change my email copy. I'm an entrepreneur, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. like really, like truly. And so I'm like, I'm finding it and I'm unemployable. I'm six foot four covered in tattoos with a gold nose ring. <laughs> there ain't a lot of people want to hire me, nor do I want to work for them. So it's perfect. And so, <laughs> and so I'm like funnel hacking and it's 10 X rule and I buy it. I do the free plus shipping oh, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, yep. comes to the crib. It's sitting there and something in me like was like read this book right now it's a very weird sensation like yeah. it's very strange and that night i fall asleep reading it next to my my then girlfriend in bed and i wake up i'm like i'm gonna finish this today so i grab the audiobook i crush the audiobook and one day it's like seven hours or something but i listen at 2x speed and i'm just hearing things in this book where i'm like i've always thought this way but i've never heard anyone say it and i've never known how to articulate it this is going on three and a half four years ago and I'm like, who's Grant Cardone? Who is this guy? What does he do? I don't know anything about him. Does he like coach people? Does he have events? And GrowthCon was coming up in nine days. Now this is like the height of COVID. And so I lived in Portland at the time, got a fly to Miami, 
Portland, Oregon? Yeah, Portland, mm -hmm. Oregon. And so the ticket is the most expensive flight I've ever bought. It was like $1,500, man. It was crazy, but I felt convicted. One of the things I try to teach my clients all the time is trust your gut. Mm. Commit and trust your gut and something will always come out. Get out of your head because your brain's a liar. Your brain only cares about survival. My brain from a survival standpoint, when I'm about to buy that $1,500 ticket is like, it's COVID and you might get COVID. And I was like, fuck it, whatever. If I get COVID, I get COVID, like, whatever. We're going to do this. Get to Miami. Brandon, no joke. The first thing I see when I get to Miami is so, because I get to the hotel or whatever, going to check in. And I see this girl walk by and her shirt said, don't be a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's a Grant Cardonism. Yep. And I didn't know that at the time. And I was like, oh no, I've made a huge mistake <laughs> coming here. <laughs> and so the next morning I wake up, I go to the conference and there's a guy behind me named Russ Yeager. And I just chat with him. One of my rules of thumb is always say hello to everybody, mm. always. I'm an introvert, it's very uncomfortable. I make myself do it because a hello led me to this moment with you, mm. believe it or not, right? And so Russ is behind me, I say, what's up, man? We start chatting back and forth. I go, let's connect, blah, blah, blah. You never know, yep. right? Maybe I'm so high, maybe it's, I'll never hear from you again, I'm fine. The next day, they show a video of Russ pitching his business to Grant in this pitch off thing and Russ wins. I was like, oh, that's super cool. I met that guy yesterday. Right after that, they go, who else wants to have the opportunity to do this? And I was like, this guy. Mm. And so I entered. Here's the way I thought about it. I was like, I knew if I made it into the top 10, I would win, right? And so there were something, I think the number was like 3,200 submissions to be able to, to pitch live with 10 other people. And so it comes to pass, I make it in the top 10. There's 10 thousand people watching this and we get up on stage pre ready to go on and grant being grant he goes how much time do they have to do this and jared glant his right hand goes i got five minutes and grant goes no they don't they got 30 seconds mm. and jerry you can see jared's face he's like no dude the, you're gonna <laughs> screw this whole thing up and grant goes okay cool we'll give him two minutes and he goes, who wants to go first? Brendan, I raise my hand so fast, my freaking shoulder comes out of socket. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, people think they want to go first, but they're never ready. And I'm like, you don't fucking know me. Mm. People are intimidated by guys like Grant Cardone. Yep. I've had guns in my face. I ain't worried about that dude. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? And so I go up, I do my thing. He literally does a mic drop. I knew immediately I won. Yeah. And the next nine people crashed and burned. <laughs> Seriously, dude. but here's, it. here's what I'm going to tap into this. This is very, very, very important. People don't understand what I'm about to say until they bring it into practice. I had visualized that moment mm. a thousand times. Mm. I had journaled it. I had dreamed about it. I had said it aloud. I had done the work. I had showed up. And when the game was on the line, I put my hand up first because if you ain't first, you're last. I do mm. believe that. And I said, I'm going. And he trying to catch me off guard was like, we'll see, people aren't ready. And I'm like, bro, I was born ready. I've been through hell. I ain't worried about these 10,000 people. Mm. I'm worried about making this impact on my community and society. And I won and he invested $10,000 into my business. That's awesome. What was the, you don't have to get the whole pitch, but like, what was the business you were uh, pitching? Think Unbroken, the whole thing that I do, coaching, okay. speaking. So you're saying you're gonna 
uh, I'm going to take people. that money. Yeah. What, yeah. Is, what exactly do you do? Maybe like give, give me a quick yeah, pitch. Yeah. What is it? Yeah, I mean, businesses doing? I, we help coach people who suffered traumatic experiences. Mm. We've got multiple groups, both for individuals. Um, I have an entrepreneur only group as well. I do tons of public speaking and writing the books and the podcast and the whole nine. And it's, you know, we have so many free resources. I mean, we've done almost 700 episodes of the podcast. Wow. Anyone can get my book for free at literally any time. Not free plus shipping, free, free, <laughs> by the way, where I pay for the shipping. Wow. Right? Free, free. Dude, I pay I for the heard. book and I, I pay for the shipping. Doing that. That's cool. And anybody in the world can coach for me for 10 minutes at any time for zero dollars. Wow. And if they want to come into a program, great. That's what I do. Dude, that's so cool. Well, it would be uh, irresponsible of me not to ask you a few questions for people listening that maybe are dealing with some trauma in their life or... Um, you know, maybe not as bad, maybe worse than what you went through. So first of all, is there a difference between, I've heard like big T, little T trauma. Like, yeah, sure. yeah, like some people are real bad off. Like, are you helping everybody on both sides or one side? Yeah. What does it look like? I don't look, man. I know a lot of people talk like that. I think that's nonsense. Okay. Like really, because here's the reality. I'm going to paint you a picture, right? Imagine you're in third grade and you're in Miss Smith's class and you're coloring the house. It's coloring day. It's like your favorite day. Like this is Brandon's shit. Like he loves coloring day. And you make the moon purple and she comes up to you and she puts her hand on your shoulder and she goes, Brandon, the moon's not purple, silly. And it's like this innocent thing that means nothing, mm. but all the kids laugh at you. Yep. And she didn't meant zero harm, but your brain making meaning of experiences says to itself, when I'm me, they're suffering. I'm going to turn me off. And the one thing you always wanted to be was an artist. And now you won't even touch a paintbrush because of that one experience when you were in third grade. So this concept, I get why people say big T, little T, but I'm like, was that not traumatic? Is that not as impactful? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. That's just my view on it. Yeah. And so to answer your question, I help people of all ranges. It's wild to me, dude. Like I had this idea persona in my brain because my background is always branding and marketing, yeah. right? And I was like, I know my customer persona. They're going to look like this, act like this, be from this environment. Dude, I've coached people who are executives at gigantic companies that every single one of us have heard of. And I've coached doctors and lawyers and moms and dads and everybody in between. And I came to realize this impacts everybody. Yeah. When you go look at the research around it, Dr. Felitti, Kaiser Permanente, and the California Center for Disease Control in the mid-90s did this thing called the ACE study. Have you heard of this? No. It's the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And what they found was they were trying to actually create a correlation between obesity and child abuse. Just was an accidental by happenstance thing that Dr. Felitti kind of like put two and two together with this one particular patient. And what they came to find is that on average, most people have had at least one adverse childhood experience. Now that could be things like a parent getting divorced, right? Now it's almost every single kid in yeah. America, which is heartbreaking, yeah. right? You got a parent getting divorced. Did a parent ever hit you? Did they ever hit each other? Did a family member ever go to prison or jail? Was a family member suicidal? Were you ever molested? Were, did you ever feel like you were unloved? Was no one there to take care of you, take you to the doctor? Did you have to wear dirty clothes, et cetera? 10 questions. I answered yes to all 10 of these questions. Mm. And here's what's interesting about the research. If you answer yes to one, which you probably will, there's an 83% chance that you answer yes to two or more. When you get to four or more, this is where it gets really interesting. 
there's a 5,200% increased likelihood that you'll commit suicide. Wow. 2,200% increased likelihood that you'll be an alcoholic and 2,000% increased likelihood that you'll smoke cigarettes. Not to mention, and this is what's really interesting, that there's a up to 10 times higher chance that you'll have early onset dementia, Alzheimer's, wow. pulmonary embolisms, heart attack, cancers, diabetes, and asthma. Wow. All because of your childhood. And so this is why I combat this big T, little T thing, because that little T was so traumatic, it impacted your life coloring to the point where you're crippled now as an adult of trying to be who you are. And then you add all of the other experiences to life and you're kind of set up for failure. You always start from a standpoint, and I'm going to make internalize this for myself for sure. a minute. I don't have, like, I, I was raised good family, good parents, Midwest, m lower middle class, like, sure. wasn't poor. You know, I had a good childhood, right? And so I've always said, yeah, I never, I don't have any trauma. I got nothing going on. But there are areas in my life that I am broken, for lack of a better term. I mean, just little, maybe little things, maybe like, for example, I told this story in a recent podcast where if I hire a contractor to do work, and they go do the work, and they do the work wrong, you know, they come over to get paid. And I look at it and I see that it's done incorrectly. I will look at them and they'll say, I'm all done. And I'll say, great, cash or check. And I will, I'll pay them and then I'll go fix the problem later. That is a broken part of me. Yeah. And I know that. Is that always some trauma that caused that? Is that a personality? Do we start with the what's broken and then try to work back to figure out what that was? Do you start in the past with memories and try to work forward? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I mean, it just depends. And when you say something like that to me, I go, obviously, you're conflict avoidant. Yeah, 100%. Right? And I mean, that's that's just... <laughs> Alex is laughing at me over there. Because <laughs> Alex is the exact opposite. He will start conflict just to have conflict. Yeah, it's yeah. Okay. There are people like that too, right? And so, but I look at that and I go, okay, well, what was household like? What was it like when mom and dad got in a fight? Did mm -hmm. they avoid? Did they not address things? When they were upset at each other, did they just pretend it wasn't there? Right? And so, like, I can paint a picture about your whole life in a sentence. I can see your reaction. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, mm. it's both forward and backwards. Again, it's quantum. Like, I really believe that. It's like looking at it from understanding both the current impact and the past impact and the future impact and looking at it and mapping it all out. Yeah. And someone can tell me a single sentence like that and I can paint a picture that if you didn't tell me, you'd be like, how the fuck did this guy know this? <laughs> That's right? exactly what I'm thinking right now. I can but, see yeah. the look on your face right now where like yeah. you're a little caught off guard by yeah. this, right? But I do this every single day with thousands yeah. and thousands of people, yeah. right? And how do I know this? Because it's just psychology at its simple right we are whether or not we like it we are the totality of all of our experiences and so when i see someone who has relationships that are fractured where they cheat on their girlfriend i go i bet your dad cheated on your mom mm, when i see people yeah. who are in crippling debt like i was when i was 25 and fifty thousand dollars in i go i bet bill collectors used to call your house every day yeah and i bet your mom used to say don't you dare answer that phone mm. right and so in the same way success leaves clues, so do the places of stuckness. Mm. But it's easier to track success, right? Because it, it's not uncomfortable. It doesn't yeah. hurt as bad. And when you think about the survival mechanisms that we have, what do we chase? We chase pleasure. We chase the dopamine hit. We chase the thing about feeling alive. We don't want to chase the reality of the moments that make us not be the complete and full version of ourselves because it sucks. Yeah. And so what I always tell people when they come into coaching with me, I'm like, I'm never going to address anything that you don't bring up first, right? And so you go, why do I do this? Why do I not address it with the contractor? And I go, that's why. Yeah. And you go, shit, how did you know that? <laughs>
Dude, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I don't, I don't want to toss my parents under the bus. No, of course I, not. I, yeah, I won't. That's not what we're doing. Yeah. But like when you said that, like my parents fought a lot and loud, right? And I was the peacemaker. I'd go to each of them. Of course you were. I'd calm them down. I'd bring them together. All growing up, I was the peacemaker. And uh, dude, it never occurred to me until this very moment that that's why I hate conflict. Because yeah. I saw my parents in conflict, not only daily, but often. They're still together. They've worked it out a lot. But man, it was a... So, yeah. so think about this for a second. Yeah. But you can stop me if this gets yeah, uncomfortable for you. But this is what I do with people yeah. all day long. Yeah. So you're in this position now as an adult where that's your reality, mm -hmm. right? And we can puzzle some pieces together in real time where you're looking back at that and you're going, fuck, you're right. And then I go, okay, but do you know why? And this is where, the, this is where people don't go deep enough because what they do, they look at it as face value, but they do not factor in that the why is survival equals safety in childhood. You're making meaning of circumstances. If I can create peace, the house is safe. I have to be the peacemaker so I have safety. Yeah. If I have safety, the world is in congruency with my ideal of survival. And if it's not, I've got to find a way to solve this problem so that I'm not in a hypervigilant state because my body is in the sympathetic nervous system in fight or flight constantly otherwise. It's just biology. Yeah. It's not even that complicated. We just aren't taught these things. Yeah. And so you can probably place in your brain these moments of childhood where you're like, I don't get sleep at night. I don't feel like I can connect with other humans. I get lost in my own emotions. And when I do get mad, I stuff them down because it reminds me of them. Mm. That's so true, man. Yeah, I lived in this constant fear that my parents were gonna get a divorce. It was the scariest thing in the world. And every time they fought, that was the fear that I just, this crippling fear of like, they're gonna get a divorce. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just, you know, thank God. Like they pulled through, like I said, but man, like I was, I was frightened of that. And then the uncertainty that comes with that. Yeah, and that's yeah. it right there, yeah. uncertainty. Cause the thing that we chase for survival is certainty, mm. right? And so if you have certainty by being the peacemaker, now you feel safe. Yeah, dude. This is good, man. This is really good. I could talk about this for hours, but I want to ask a couple more questions. Sure. One, if people are watching a situation like your childhood from the outside looking in, their cousin, their nephew, their niece, their the neighbor kid, and they see just trauma happening, they see that kind of situation, what can somebody outside do something? Like, what can I do when I see that happening to somebody else and I don't have the power? It's not my kid not my you know, immediate family, what yeah. can someone do? Dude, luckily we live in a very different world than the world you and I grew up yeah. in because my family members knew and they did nothing, mm. nothing. And our neighbors knew and they did nothing. And the cops came to my house at least once every other week mm. and they did nothing. nothing. And so we live in a very different world right now. And I think that it's hard to navigate that. I mean, it's a very good question, but it's hard to navigate that because people feel like they're crossing bounds. Yeah. But then I, I look at guys just to circle back to a guy like Tim Ballard, and he's like, I see a problem, I'm gonna go solve it. Yeah. I think it's your moral imperative to do something. Mm. Like if I'm in a grocery store and I see some dude hit their kid, I step up to him. Yeah. It's very weird. Yeah. It's a really intense moment. And I just go, you shouldn't hit your kid. And then they'll be like, push back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll go, do you want to hit me? I'm six foot four, 220. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing martial arts my whole life. <laughs> the answer is always no. 
And then I just simply go, cause look, man, what you're doing is you're setting them up for failure. You don't have to hurt them the way you got hurt. Ooh. And I walk away. No one's ever hit me on my way out. Yeah. So like <laughs> that's happened like three times now. Wow. I do think it's your responsibility. Like I really do. People are always like, I want to change the world. I'm like, it's in front of you. Yeah. But you're not doing anything because you're a coward. Yeah. Right. And because of that, like I get it. People are like, it's not my business. No, it is. It is your business. Because if you're in the same breath going to say you're going to change the world, then your actions need to be where your mouth is. Yeah. If you're in it, like sometimes it's really close to home. Cause I'll have people reach out to me and they'll be like, I witnessed this happening or it's like down the road or it's this. And I go, go to the police and make an anonymous report. Yeah. You can do that. You can call child protective services and not leave your name. That's a thing that you can do. And it's like, I think any action is better than no action. Cause it's like, you hear things like people go, I knew Tom was drunk. I should have stopped him. Well, you didn't, and now he's dead, and so are seven other people. Yeah. You carry that with you, whether you like it or not, right? And so I, I think that it's just, it's your moral responsibility to show up or don't talk about it. Mm. Very, very good stuff, man. All right, dude, I'm going to move this on to the next segment of the show. we got three final segments here. This one I call the three, two, one pivot. It's going back to your story a little bit. The idea is, you know, a pivot being you got one foot planted, and, you know, in sports, right, you pivot your foot, you move another direction. In your life, you're going one direction and something changes it. So we're looking at three books that change the direction of your life, two people that change the direction of your life, and one quote. Let's start with three books. Got it. The Alchemist. Mm, yeah. It's the greatest personal development book I think ever written. The thing that I always come, I won't use this as a quote, but I think this is important. The universe is always conspiring in your favor, mm. right? That book was a game changer for me. Yeah, um, so the second would be Gary Vee's Crush It. And the reason why is because I didn't really understand business till I found Gary V. Yeah. I kept failing all the time. And if you go back, I'm on like episode 120 or something of Ask Gary V, like mm. 10 years ago. Really? And I asked him, I said, how do I ask for help, Gary? That was a question. I was willing to like put that out publicly. So that book. And then the third one, man, you know what's interesting? I, I got to go with the 10X rule. Like I really do because it, it set a trajectory that I believe led me to this moment with you in some weird way. Yeah. Right. That's neat, man. Yeah. Uh, interesting enough, Grant Cardone's 10X rule. I read that book right when it came out and I was like, who's this Grant Cardone guy? So I got in touch with PR or whatever his people got him on our podcast, Bigger Pockets back then. I interviewed him and I saw what he was doing. Uh, I interviewed him twice and, and I saw what he was doing with making a name for himself and then using that to raise money. Yep. And then buy real estate at a large level. And I was like, this is what I could do. So I literally just, I just copied his game plan. That's why I have almost a billion dollars of real estate now. It's amazing. It's all, yeah, that would not have happened without Grant and without the 10X rule. Yeah. So yeah, Dude, I'm right it, there with you. It's like, thank God for the internet, man. Yeah. I never would have, you take me yeah. back 25 years ago, I'd probably still yeah. be dead broke. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't really have any skills. Yeah. Internet, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the internet has done some terrible things and the internet has done some just unbelievable things. I agree. And, uh, I think we're going to see that with AI as well. It's yeah, like, yeah. AI is going to do some terrible things and brilliant things. Yeah. All right. So two people that have changed the direction of your life. I know you mentioned a few on the podcast. Already, yeah. But. Yeah. I would say, man, that's a very tough question. Yeah. I'm so fortunate. I look at my circle. I look at my influence. I look at the people who have like ushered me, man, it's unbelievable. Tom Bilyeu, mm. for sure. I've been able to sit with Tom, have dinner with Tom, have him be by my side, speak on the same stages as him multiple times over the years. 
and that dude just kind of laid it. What I love about Tom is like he never sugarcoats anything. He's an incredible human. And then, you know, honestly, like probably my grandma. I know that's really weird to say with the story I just told you. When you go look at resiliency studies, sometimes you just need one person to care just a little bit. Yeah. And when I was homeless and I was living in that abandoned house and I couldn't find my mom and I couldn't find my stepdad, she's the only one who was there. Yeah. Not that she wasn't a fucking train wreck because she yeah. was an alcoholic and smoked two packs a day and was a fucking racist. Yeah. But at least I wasn't homeless anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it changed the direction of your life, man. I have one quote that changed your life. In Rocky Three, Apollo Creed and Rocky are training. Rocky's getting ready to fight and he's quitting on himself. And he's like, I'll do it tomorrow. And Apollo's like, there is no tomorrow. That's it. I love it. Next segment, past, present, future. Advice mm. for your younger self. We'll start with the past. Advice mm. for your younger self. None. I wouldn't have listened anyway. Mm. Would any of us? Yeah. Nope. Not at all. I'd be like, get out of my face, old man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true. What about present? What is something that you currently have instituted in your life or you just started doing in the last, call it year, that's improved your life a little bit? What's giving you a better life this year? Yeah, dude, just, it, this is going to sound strange, but it's being more vulnerable. Mm. Not about like, it's so hard to explain because you would look at me and go, this guy is very vulnerable. But I mean, at a depth in which like I'm sharing stuff that I've never shared before in a context that I think is for the betterment of people. Mm. I mean, there's still stuff I'll never, ever, ever bring public that I've experienced, but I'm going into a little bit more nuanced of some really dark situations because it just dawned on me or was like, I know this is happening or has happened to people. I need to talk about this and how I move through it. Yeah. So I'm getting more vulnerable in a healthy way, not crying on fucking TikTok. Like sure. that's nonsense. <laughs> I'm going to get canceled again. For there you now, go. By the way. <laughs> uh, and then finally, future. What do you want your legacy to be at the end of your life when people look care. back at you? Don't look, care. dude, here's the reality. I'm a nihilist. Okay. At the end of the day, we all turn to dust, bro. Yeah. And I'm like, legacy? It's like, name your great grandpa. Mm, I was at yeah. Top Golf with Alex Hermosi, and we were talking about this. And he's big on that. And I don't really ever hear anyone else talk about nihilism. So, yeah. like, we are kindred spirits. But, like, my hope is this. That in 200 years, someone will pick up a copy of one of my books yep. and they'll be like, why does this exist? Yeah. I but I said, hold on, let, let me go a little bit deeper. I, I think it's I don't believe that anything matters while I simultaneously hold on to the notion that nothing is more important than this present moment. Mm. That's good. Finally, to wrap it up, what are you excited about in life right now? What are you most excited about? Do this. Man, being able to connect with amazing men like you, being able to have phenomenal conversations, being able to like, dude, I get to show my little brothers constantly possibility. Yeah. And I'm watching their lives so different. Mm -hmm. One of them is about to graduate from the police academy. Oh, cool. The other one's about to be a firefighter. My sister doesn't beat her kids. Like, dude, we are the ones. Yeah. You're changing the generational curse. Where can people find out more about you? Where can they connect with you? Yeah, dude, I'm everywhere on social at Michael Unbroken. And of course, the Think Unbroken podcast, you go to thinkunbrokenpodcast.com. Awesome. Thank you, man, for joining. Thanks, dude. And that is the show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on this show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. 
Uh, your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback, I look at the feedback, and we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs maybe, check out abetterlife.com slash bestlife. Abetterlife.com slash bestlife. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.